welcome to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast about helping you improve your skills and abilities in the game in about an hour. I am your central host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and with me from the left, we have your good co-host, Shaylin Allen. Greetings. And your right co-host, the evil one, Joshua Death. Good evening. Is it a good evening? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's a good evening. Well, we'll go with that, then. I assert it's a good evening. I, 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 I think I've been outvoted at this point. It's <laughs> two to one in, in favor of good evenings. So I had a thought earlier today that I think is going to ring a bell with some of you, and probably some of those out in listener land as well. I looked up from my modeling table, where I am desperately building stuff for the tournament this weekend, and realized just how many abandoned projects I have. And I suspect both of you have as well. The Land Raider Pizza. Land Raider Pizza. What? That's a story in itself. Wait, I gotta hear this. Alright, so when I was first starting into 40k, I had a friend who was trying to get rid of a Land Raider and victimized me by putting it on me, but he didn't want it for free, so I traded it for a pizza. Mm -hmm. And the Land Raider in question had been chopped up by a 13-year-old boy for battle damage. (laughs) Yeah, and I've seen this Land Raider... I'm not sure you got the better deal there. It was not a good pizza, but this is not a good Land Raider. No, uh, well, it does, its only dignified thing is that the front door does open and close properly. Yeah, he managed to get that part right. That is the only dignified thing about that Land Raider. The weapons were falling off because they're, this is the old metal bit. Yeah, the metal plastic hybrid Land Raider. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, I hated that model. It was pretty bad. <laughs> Josh, do you have any projects that still live on in shame for you oh more than more than i can count yeah i have uh a half a dozen fortifications downstairs that are in various forms of built slash not built Mm -hmm. and uh worst truly worst of all is uh you might even remember remember the yellow space marine army i ran for a bit sean oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The drop pods are still half done downstairs oh. from that army when they never got done for that army. <laughs> never to see the light of day again. Poor drop pods. All 12 of them. <laughs> right? Ugh. Yeah, for me, I, I have a bunch of them. Some of them are Age of Sigmar armies, which is a whole thing in and of itself. Uh, those poor dwarves ain't never seeing the light of day either. Oh, no. Uh, but I actually have part of an Imperial army, some Dark Angels from back in 7th edition. When uh, I don't believe you. No, Raven, Raven, because you could ally Eldar and Dark Angels together back then. Oh, yeah. And so I had, you know, squads of Windrider jet bikes backed up by squads of Dark Angel jet bikes. Uh, and it was, it was super fun, and they never got finished. Yeah, no. Uh, the, the one thing that makes me the saddest is my 50-plus Terminator bodies that just kind of stare at me. I haven't touched since 8th dropped. Yeah, well, not the Terminators have ever been good. They were runnable-ish in 7th edition. Ish. Ish. More yeah. so than they are now. 
Sure. I'll, I'll certainly give you that much. CA did not help Granite Terminators. It, I mean, it technically did. It helped our Paladins, but it didn't help our Terminator Terminators. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's actually a pretty good place to transition into the main episode of the subject here. Hordes versus Elite Armies. Which Terminators are... I mean, you have a horde of elites, technically. Uh, I mean, that, that's that's a thing. But uh, more typically, you see a lot of discussion amongst people. A lot of people have said 8th edition is a horde edition. Um, and I'm not entirely sure you can say that's correct. How do you guys feel about that? Shaylin, how do you feel? I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's hear the vote from this side of things. <laughs> So, my observation is that, considering that they're still balancing it, right now with where the balance is, it does favor hordes of cheap bodies. Mm -hmm. Mathematically and such, it just kind of turns out the squad of guardsmen does more than a squad of space marines at the end of the day. Which, you can make certain types of elite armies work. It's not like they aren't unusable, but... Not all of them are the same. Josh, what do you say? I feel... Odd answer, but neither. Hmm. I, I feel like this edition, more than any edition I've seen before it, this edition is the edition of the balance. Balance is what wins in this edition. But, of the two, if I have to lean one way or the other, I will lean more towards Horde than I will towards Elite. The elite will work, like Shaylin said, and I agree with Shaylin. There, there are ways to make it work, but if you're wanting less skill-intensive or less dice-intensive, the horde is going to be a little more forgiving. That's that's interesting because I mean, obviously, there are a lot of horde armies out there: orcs, chaos, tyranids, guard. There's a lot of elite or a lot of horde armies out there, but there are also some very, very elite armies out there that have done quite well. Uh, Custodes is mm -hmm. certainly one of them. They've gone from being just a complete joke army in seventh to being a, quite a powerful army in eighth. A mm -hmm. uh, little, little matchup dependent, but still entirely capable of winning GTs and majors, as Jeff Robinson has shown. Mm -hmm. um, True. And knights is another one. That's like you don't get more elites than knights, really. No. Um, and knight armies have consistently done quite well. Um, not pure knight armies in most cases, because you know, almost no one fields pure armies in general, but um, it is not at all uncommon to see three and four knight lists at the top tables. Mm -hmm. The fact that guys who are in three-up armor are not particularly good has certainly given a lot more credence to the idea of horde armies having a lot of dominance over the game. Um, but... As both the co-hosts have said, like I think there's a lot of evidence to say that it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. um, so I say we dig in and talk a little bit about what makes each of the army types good. Um, and I say we start with elite armies. I'm a start. Okay. Why don't you? <laughs> why don't you hit? What do you, what do you think? Some of the the high points of an elite army. So, as someone who plays an elite army, the first thing you have is less models to move. It counts for something. Uh, it counts for a lot. Uh, mental and physical endurance is just, you don't do as much. Mm -hmm. uh, less things to keep track of. 
elite armies generally have uh, what they make up for in bodies they get in special rules as a result, usually, has been an observation I have. So, like, everyone knows about Dark Reapers. They just always hit on a three. Yep, they just get to ignore all those penalties. Exactly. So, and then there's other little, like, tricks and shenanigans. Like, oh, there's this stratagem that makes this elite thing break out into these little tiny things, like the Custodes Terminator split stratagem Mm -hmm. and things like that, that are really, they get these better toolboxes in a way. Scalpels. They're yep. really fine things, but if you scalpel someone and like hit the seams of their army just right, it just collapses every time. Mm-hmm. That's how an elite army plays. Sure, uh, and I think to the to the point of uh, special rules and whatnot, you see a lot of elite armies that just get to ignore parts of the game. Um, oh, like yeah. knights don't even care about falling back; they get to break so many rules there. They can pass over other models like. No other thing can do that in the same way that knights do when falling back. And even knights don't get to do it when they're not falling back. Mm. Um, so you get all of these weird exceptions, like Dark Reapers ignoring hit penalties and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that allow elite armies to break rules of the game, and that's powerful. Yes. Uh, there's also the fact that, you know, they generally have better saves. That's part of what concentrates them and makes them more elite. Sure. So if you're shooting regular style bullets at them, they're tougher against it. Yeah, a bolt gun ain't nothing to a knight or a custodes terminator. No. Uh, elite armies do have to be speed, do have to make up for their lack of just physical mass with speed often. Very true. Has been an observation, at least in the competitive ones. So they're fast, they ignore morale as well, because the units right. are smaller. If you only have two guys, then you don't really care about morale at all. A knight <laughs> can't take a morale check, can it, Sean? No, it's it's hard-pressed to do so. We haven't seen a lot of units of knights yet, but don't give IGW any ideas. <laughs> I had to take a morale check with Celestine once. <laughs> it's technically a thing that can happen. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, but And the other cool thing is that because they're small, they can fit through some small spaces, and that is a remarkably powerful thing. It's like, well, I'm a weasel with Smash Captain here, and boom, your knight's dead. Yeah. Single model units are the epitome of this, but multi-model, even just like small units of any kind, um, you you just have to make a really tiny mistake in your movement or blocking, and they can do something really awful to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that puts a lot more pressure on the other player to make sure that they are doing everything perfectly correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh, what do, what do you have for us? I was actually I was actually going to hit on that exact topic right there, is the uh, the ability to capitalize on your opponent's mistakes with the elite armies is really huge. You know, I mean, if, if you happen to leave a, a half-inch wide, two-wide hole for a unit to get in against a horde, not a big deal. Right, they're just going to get, like, three orc boys in there, and who cares? Mm-hmm. Exactly. You do that against a custodes bike captain, and all of a sudden, now it's a serious potential problem. Now I can kill a knight by himself. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and so that, and obviously, when you're using those screens to do that ex- exact job to screen, mm-hmm. being able to capitalize that with an elite army can be game winning. I think that speaks a lot to some of the very talented players, the very technically skilled players who play armies like Custodes or Yanari or mm-hmm. other fast-moving elite armies that can really capitalize on their enemies' mistakes and take full advantage of them. Yeah. Uh, and you certainly do see that at the top levels of play fairway often. That's elite army style play in a nutshell. Is it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a scalpel with a lot of tools in the box. 
it's like a Swiss Army scalpel. Yeah. Um, kind of touching on one of Shaylin's earlier points, um, the use and effectiveness of stratagems. Because if you spend one CP to add plus one to hit on a guard squad, woo, eh. no one is impressed. But if you spend one CP to add plus one to hit with your squad of ten Terminators, <laughs> yeah, that makes kind of a difference. Yeah. Uh, well, because elite armies generally have better stat lines as well. Mm-hmm. So that's it's all those stratagems and stuff that benefit them and amplify that. Right. When your units are worth 400 points each, you get more value out of a stratagem that buffs a single unit. Exactly. Uh, or, or even not just stratagems, honestly. Auras and stuff like that as well. Exactly. And it was also, uh, this is a fun thing that drives my opponents crazy, is it's really easy to get an elite army all within distance of the one character aura. Yeah, you don't need as many characters or, or auras to buff things. I don't need redundant characters in my Granite's army. Just the one guy. <laughs> yep, he pretty easily covers all five squads. And apparently kills knights for a living. Whatever. Sometimes. <laughs> um, so, Josh, you seem like a natural choice to talk a little bit about horde armies, given your predilections. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about... I've been known to run one time to time. Yeah, it's, I have seen you run a model before. <laughs> one or two, one or two, you know. Yeah, so why don't, you, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you think the strengths of a Horde army are? Well, a couple of the really obvious, I mean, the really obvious glaring strengths of the Hordes is one, one of those big weaknesses that you guys already mentioned about the Elite Army is being, you know, they're kind of vulnerable to Melta Guns, Plasma Guns, Smites, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, hordes really don't care, you know? You, you, you use that awesome, powerful Volcano Cannon and you kill an Orc Boy. <laughs> well, you killed an Orc Boy. Or, or even more embarrassing. Exactly, it is. It's actually horribly embarrassing. Uh, when when your opponent is reduced to having to shoot a volcano cannon at orc boys, you've already partially won that game just on principle. <laughs> <laughs> but that is that's one of the inherent aspects of those horde lists is you don't you're not as susceptible to those special weapons, those really devastating, hard hard hitting anti tank or anti peace weapons. Yeah, it's, and, I mean, there certainly are special weapons designed to deal with hordes, but they tend to be less common and not as, not taken as much as, like, because everyone knows you need to bring some melted guns to kill knights and whatnot, but, you know, there's not a lot of people who are looking at their army and like, hmm, well, I should probably take the storm bolter in my special weapon slot, just in case I face some orcs. Unless you're great knights. <laughs> Unless you're me. Well, that's not a special weapon for you, that's just a regular weapon. <laughs> And then the the other side that is, I think, the the obvious uh, aspect of them is the board presence. Yes. So, uh, horde armies are naturally going to control more of the table than an elite army. Just by physical number of models, you can't help but do so. Mm-hmm. Kind of on a little side thing is, uh, if you've got like a character with a mega important power or like smite or something, you've got these blocking and screening abilities that hordes have inherently. It's true. Um, having 90 or 120 bodies standing between you and the enemy is a great way to protect some important characters, as anyone who has seen a chaos list probably knows. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of dice. Yeah. There, there is one aspect of the horde, uh, the horde list that I, I feel it's one of those double-edged swords when it comes to a list, and that uh, it's the, the ability and also... The restriction 
of being able to position you. Hmm. You have to position them just right. Uh, it, a lot of people think, well, I've got 300 guys here. I can just kind of willy-nilly just throw them up the table. And those invariably are the lists that wind up losing using that format because, yes, you may have 300 bodies, but you have 300 bodies that actually need to be pretty carefully placed. Yeah. And in the same breath, the, in my opinion, more important aspect is removal of casualties. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. It is a massive, massive skill when running horde armies of knowing when and where to kill what models. Yes, I lost five guys out of these 40 models, but which five guys do I pull? Because most people think, oh, well, these are the closest ones to me, or these are the furthest ones away from the enemy. But invariably, it's not that simple of a decision. And the, the player that is able to capitalize on, you killed six instead of five, and I'm going to make you pay for that because now you're not going to get your charge. Mm-hmm. Or now you can't see my guys with that other unit you want to shoot. Right. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Yeah, if you ever watch uh, some of the really talented high-level players um, play a Horde army, uh, there was a game at the Charity Hammer stream. It was uh, Nick Navadi and... John Lennon? Was, I think it was John Lennon, yeah. yeah. Uh, where they were both... Pl- it was Orcs versus... Something. Yeah, it was another. I think it was Tyranids. No, it's, I believe it was Tyranids. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, it was it was it was a horde on horde battle. There was over 250 models on the table started that game. Mm-hmm. Um, watching the two of them move their units and remove casualties, they're not just pulling guys from wherever. They are very careful about how they make their movements and how they pull dudes, and that makes all the difference. Yes. Yeah. No. Elite armies are a little less sensitive to that, mostly because five casualties means probably the squad's gone. Yes. Uh, when you only have five guys, picking which which of them to pull is less of a problem because they're all kind of like right next to each other in most cases. Yeah. Uh, but there there are times in which it's like you do have to stop and examine, okay, where was the visibility lines, where's the other thing, blah, 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 blah. Horde armies, that's just, there's more of it. Yes. Uh, We'll probably have a whole episode on casualty removal at some point. That's actually a surprisingly important skill in the game. To all armies. To armies of any kind, yes. There is one other key kind of, uh, I'm sure a lot of people think it's kind of a given, but a key aspect to horde armies that elite armies struggle with is the ability to not only control objectives, but also deny objectives. Mm. Yeah. Because you have enough bodies at that point where your opponent's going to have to chew through 10, 15 models just to get to within three inches of that objective. And even then, if they have most horde armies, these hordes happen to be obsec. Almost all. A good majority of the time. So they finally chew through these 10, 15 bodies to get within three inches of the objective, and then you still got 15, 20 models within three inches of that objective, and there's no way they're ever going to outnumber that. Yes. And so that's another thing Horde Armies, I think, can really... A major strength for them. Yeah, uh, an interesting thing is uh, we mentioned that like elite armies basically don't care about the morale phase, but uh, horde armies often have ways to negate or brush off the worst of the morale phase. I've observed. It's kind of a requirement for them to be functional. Yeah. Because like tyrannids, for example, basically don't participate in the morale phase as long as they're in synapse range. Yep. Orcs kind of don't either. No, they just have obscenely high leadership from mob rule. Guard has the Aquila now that does the thing the Commissar used to. 
Yeah, or or have you know a variety of other ways of shrugging it off, various stratagems and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, Chaos has a has a bad end and other tricks like that. Um, you typically do see them having. I'm on a tangent for a slight slight moment here, just because I I know you mentioned the orcs. One of the orcs key ways of dealing with morale, and it's been that way for editions, many editions, is the mob rule. You know, their ability to use mm-hmm. mass numbers to overcome deficiencies in morale. And one of the the slight it's a weird thing that they did in 8th edition that is kind of new is it used to be back in the day where for quite a long time that if they had so many models in the unit, they could use the that model count as leadership. If they were over a certain level of leadership or model count they were just they were just fearless they just didn't care right mm-hmm. where now it is just strictly based off of number of models it sounds like it's not really much of a difference but it's it's a nuanced thing that i just wanted to point out only because i just had some experience recently running orcs trying to run them a little competitively mm-hmm. and one of the things and ironically i ended up having to play against quite a few orcs one of the things i realized in the middle of this the, this this series of playing a dozen plus games with them and playing against orcs is because they're only using that leadership of the the number of models in their unit or a neighboring unit quite often the way you can manipulate that is you hit both units and you hit them both hard you don't kill one of them you hit both of them for it's a 30 man unit and i do 16 to 18 wounds to both of them rather than just trying to pound one of them mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden both of those units they're going to use the 15 or 14 or 12 models that are left in the unit as their leadership, but both of those units lost so many that they're both hurting. Because again, that that 18 models, you still roll that 1d6 and add those casualties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so all of a sudden, what I saw is rather than trying to just bury one unit and then he just ignores the morale because he still has 30 guys in this other unit, you all of a sudden are doing 18 to this one and 16 to that one, and then most of both units disappear, and he's got like five models left. And it was a really weird nuance that I saw with these orcs, especially with how popular they are getting now, that a lot of people that are older players that remember the days of the mob rule, it's a new thing. Oh yeah, it's, I mean, managing your morale and understanding the intricacies of how morale interacts with those larger units is very important. Uh, I will point out before anyone gets too excited about that, though, Green Tide is a stratagem that exists. Don't just drop one orc unit down to five guys, because then you're going to be dealing with 30 orcs again. All over again. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the morale point in general is certainly very important to take note of. That that is a huge thing for horde armies of any kind, is how do you manage your morale and what mechanic do you use there? Yes. Uh, I think the last point I want to throw down about horde armies is a very simple one that's easy to forget how big it is. Um, it's the raw math. Uh, mm-hmm. This is something that Colin Sherman has uh, mentioned a number of times and I think is is really big, Mitch Pelham as well, on their podcast. If you have 30 models in a unit, you cannot kill that unit with less than 30 shots. Period. That's just the math of it. Mm-hmm. I was also going to point out that Josh brought up the list of the week the other week where he was just all about this, so I want to hear what Josh has to say. Ironically, with how, sim- with how simple the list was, and it was, it was, it was very, very linear, it actually performed admirably well in that uh, I even, even within a horde army, 
I disregarded the elite units like the Ludas or the Tank Bustas or a lot of those units that are that you know a lot of the Orc players are really favoring right now. And I just said screw it and I said I just want more bodies. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, it was winning out even against other Orc armies that were running those elite units because exactly the issue you just brought up, Sean, is what was killing, what was detrimenting a lot of these armies because it came. To, I have 180 models. Yeah. That means there's no less, no less than 180 shots to kill that army. And it is very difficult to do when you start mixing in the force fields and the feel no pains and the unending green tide. And mm-hmm. it, it literally, you just, you drown them in bodies. And it worked amazingly well, which ironically, I don't know if Shaylin, you were about to point this out, but one of the things that I, I feel is kind of the, the other side of the coin for these horde armies and orcs especially mm-hmm. speed. The, one of the one of their major weaknesses to a lot of these big giant horde armies is its slower army. Yeah. Compared to the mobility that a lot of these elite armies can do, like the Eldar and the Grey Knights and mm. the Custodes and so on and so forth, mm. the orcs can sometimes not orcs, just hordes in general can sometimes struggle trying to actually move across the table, as well as you being the one to physically move 200 models across the table. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a super important point because. A custodes army, like we kind of mentioned, it can have all of its models within a like six-inch bubble, yeah. pretty easily. So can Grey Knights, Blood Angels, a lot of these type of things. Yeah. An orc army has to spread out across its deployment zone. It can't deploy all concentrated in one area. That's not physically possible. Uh, there's just not room for it. Yeah, just can't. So you can you can fight an, a horde army by taking advantage of like yeah they have board control but only because they are forced to spread out across the entire board i'm going to fight your guys in this section of the board and then i'm going to fight them in this section and i'm going to fight them in this section you take them apart piecemeal mhm yep uh that is definitely a thing and uh for our listeners you can kill 180 some odd boys with sure. 2000 points of an elite army i have done so Yes. Well, you kill 30, and then you kill 30, and then you kill 30, and then you kill 30. Yes. And as long as you keep killing them before the next wave gets to you, then you're always in good shape. Yeah, that is pretty much exactly how that game went. Also, I have a lot of anti infantry bullets. Yes. How do you eat the world's largest cookie? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I think that is a pretty good summary of our two different types of armies. Let's hit up the Quartermaster, get a little rest and relaxation, and we'll catch everyone on the flip side with talking about how these kinds of armies play the game. Gamers, are you looking to do conversion of your dreams but just can't find the right bits? Probably because they don't exist? Gaiman with a top hat? Magnus with a pimp cane? Mortarian playing chess? Well, those dreams can become reality with Vrita Forge, a design and 3D printing studio that can make the bits you've always wanted to happen happen. Vrita Forge can be found through Facebook, that's V R E D A 
F-O-R-G-E, like Forge Worlds. Contact her, and she can design custom bits, parts, in any number you desire, from one to a million. Verita Forge. Make all of your wargaming bits dreams come true. strengths of each of them, how do you make a decision between the two? I go with, as a new player, you should try both and see if you have a personal preference. Personal preference is definitely a good starting point. Some people just don't like hordes. Some people don't like elites. That can definitely be a major consideration. I initially played Tyranids as one of my starting armies when I came into the game. I eventually gave them up because I found I just didn't want to paint that many models. Even though I recognize that Horde armies are very good and can have a lot of strengths, I don't play extreme Horde armies because I don't, I don't like painting them. Can't argue with that logic. It's, I mean, yeah, that's kind of your starting place. It's like, if you can't get the army physically to the table, then obviously you're, you're not going to bring one or the other, whichever one you don't like. And, and admittedly, some people don't like elite armies. Um, like, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've encountered the orc player that, like, screams a wog behind you because he's having way too much fun. <laughs> right? Also, don't do that. That's really rude. Uh, one of the driving factors that I, I actually had to, I've had to kind of coach people on a couple times over the years is if the idea of losing models actually gets to you mentally and there's a lot of people that do like they're in the middle of a game and all of a sudden i've got half this unit dying and it gets into their head and it really starts to mess with their head if that concept messes with you then you should probably lean more towards the elite armies yeah definitely because horde armies invariably part of the concept of the horde is you're going to lose half your army and still outnumber your opponent four to one that's kind of the concept mm-hmm but if you can't handle the fact that this unit just got blown off the table, which is what it was there for, yeah. and, it gets, and that type of thing messes with your head, then you should probably lean towards an elite army. Mm. Uh, also, horde armies will teach you that things are, can be disposable and it's okay for them to die. Yes. Yeah, that's certainly a useful concept and uh, one that I think we have an episode that we've been kind of brewing on for a little while. Not sure when we'll get to it, uh, but units exist to die in this game. Um, Especially this edition. True. And you need to have a certain level of acceptance about that. And as Josh said, some people don't like seeing a whole unit go away in one turn, and that's fair, that's understandable. Um, but horde armies can be a good way to learn that just sometimes your units die, and that's okay. Yep. I think for my part, another big influencing factor that actually kind of pushes me towards the center, because, uh, you know, like I said, I don't really like playing super horde-style armies, but I also don't really like super elite armies, the, you know, five knights or whatever, mm-hmm. because they are super vulnerable to bad luck. Yeah, it, no. You do not have to fail very many las cannon saves before one of your knights starts feeling the pain. Yeah... Yeah. Yeah, Shaylin has, I know, experienced this when I'll, I'll, I'll just like shoot a squad of fire warriors at like one of her strike teams, and she'll lose four or five guys to one bad round of dice. Oh dear. Yeah. Or maybe that one time you killed four dread knights in one turn. 
there was that also. Um, <laughs> an, an even more extreme example. But this is this is something that will happen with elite armies, is when you have a lower sample size of dice, if you're only throwing 10 dice, it's possible for all 10 of those dice to come up once. Mm-hmm. And that will hurt a lot. Hmm. Yeah, which is why elite armies thrive on rerolls. Yeah, they need them in many cases just to, to really work out. And on the other hand, your your horde army, if your horde army takes 10 saves and fails them all, you probably don't even notice. Um, I mean, who cares if you failed 10 six-ups? Whatever. Over the course of the game, the horde army is rolling so many more dice that just by the raw statistics of it, they are more likely to see average dice. Uh, that's just that's just raw math. There's that's not preference or anything like that. That's literally the law of averages. Yes. So, one one of the ways I love to express the difference between a horde concept and an elite concept, and people ask, well, how do I really know, you know, which way I prefer to lean? If you roll and get a save, and you're surprising, you know, you're excitedly surprised at that, mm-hmm. you lean towards the horde army. If you roll and fail a save and you're surprised about that, then you're leaning towards the elite army. (laughs) Because when a horde army makes a save, that's a surprise. (laughs) Yeah. When an elite army fails a save, and you're like, oh shit, that's a surprise. Yep. There's there's the dramatic dichotomy there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Because, yeah, like horde armies, they don't pass very many saves. A lot of times they don't even get saves. Just like, all right, I'll start pulling models now. Yeah. How, how many guys died? Sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah, my, my sheer glee whenever my Gretchen happened to sit in a piece of cover and make a five-up save and not die. It's just, it's way too much excitement for us a Gretchen surviving. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about tempo. Oh, I love this topic. Because both of these, it's, I think it's a really important topic. I think it's the one that has kind of resonated with a lot of folks. We got some very good response to that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't, why don't we talk a little bit how each of these play their tempo differently? Uh, so elite armies, as we mentioned earlier, use mobility as a tempo control. And the other thing is they're concentrated threats because mm-hmm. we talk about boar presence as a notion of threat. And tempo is very tied into boar presence. Mm-hmm. So you've got your fast, concentrated threats is how they operate, basically. And, and I would say that they're very good at taking tempo from the opponent by virtue of sort of overturning it. That an elite army is great at picking a battle and winning that battle, regardless of what is happening elsewhere. Yes, uh, they have a lot of tools for that. That's basically because they're tool armies. Mm-hmm. is a good another way to look at them. So they have a lot of tempo tools in a way hordes don't. Hordes basically get their tempo tool from bodies. Yeah. Josh, what do you think? Um, so I, I will somewhat agree in that category. So the, the while the hordes, yes, their primary aspect is their bodies, one of the benefits that you have, as we mentioned earlier, one of those uh, defining traits of a good horde player versus not is like you were mentioning in that game between John Lennon and Nick Nanavani, where positioning and casualty removal become key. That's a prime example. Mm. Pulling the right models as casualties or putting the right model in just the right spot for positioning can single-handedly tip and or control the tempo of a game. Absolutely. 
Um, you get things like, you know, keeping a single boy from a squad far out of coherency from the rest of its unit, but still adjacent to another 30-man unit, so you don't have to worry about that morale. Um, mm -hmm. That's something a lot of players not, may not think to do, but that's a huge tempo advantage because it means that you lose zero models to morale rather than the whole squad. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Uh, you also have lots of things like staying in auras, keeping in range to control objectives, to kind of keep pushing up that victory point ticker, stuff like that. Well, and, and another very simple one that can that you can use to your advantage is, you know, I'm playing against uh, Custodes with their shield captains on bikes, and all three shield captains charge into my big orc unit this turn, and they're going to lay waste to them. And I've got a shield captain here, and a shield captain here, and one over here. And the first one swings, and what do I do? He kills seven orcs, and I pull all seven orcs that are in front of that other shield captain. So what's he going to do when he activate? Nothing. Because <laughs> he's going to pile in three inches and not be next to any orcs, so he's not even going to get to swing now. Yep. And so, that that's, an, again, being able to remove the right cast, he just, he just completely tipped the flow and the tempo of that battle. Yeah. And... I actually thought you were going to take that uh, example a completely different direction because my first thought there was he charges me with three shield captains. One of them kills seven orcs. I now spend two command points and interrupt him and I get to kill one of his other shield captains before it goes. Yes. Horde armies can do a lot of stuff with interrupt stratagems and stuff like that as well. Yeah, well, and... To compound this example, you pull the seven casualties to make the one guy not even work, and you kill the other third, the third guy. Yep, you can do both those things at once. Um, That's called being a good orc player. And now, where that where that custodes player, that custodes player thought he was coming in for the kill, and all of a sudden now he's on his back foot playing off the ropes. Yes, that that right there is a great example of a big tempo swing where you have turned what is potentially a devastating loss of your unit that got charged into a pretty significant loss. Even if you don't kill one of those shield captains, if you do like four or five wounds to it, that puts this, that custodes player in a very bad place. Yeah. Well, since we've already kind of brought up the subject of board control, why don't we talk about board control? Because everyone thinks of, like, hordes, board control, right, I get it. But not a lot of people think about elite armies in terms of board control. Elite. Elite board control. It's one of the best board controls in the game. It absolutely yeah, can be. no. Uh, it is the epitome of the firing lane. Yes. Um, That's how they do it. It's like... I want to walk down this piece of terrain, or I'm going to get shoot by all those riptide shots. Yeah, that's actually something we haven't talked about very much. We've talked about custodes and gray knights and other of these armies that are sort of primarily melee-based for elite armies, but there are a lot of very elite shooting armies, too. Mm -hmm. um, Triptide. Yeah, Triptide is ab three, three Riptides and three or six Broadsides. Um, that's absolutely an elite army, but it's an elite shooting army that plays in a different way than elite melee armies or even board control uh, horde armies will. Yeah, no, and it's basically like you can set up the firing lane sections mm -hmm. where their threat is their gun range and the line of sight target, so it's like, well... You get to walk down this narrow path and get shot to crap. Mm -hmm. Or alternatively, we have like the Hellblaster example where the Hellblasters just sit there and if you want to go over there, you're going to get messed up by plasma. Yep. You know, if you come up with our line of sight and get on those objectives you need to be on, we kill you. 
Yep. Yeah, because uh, they have enough shots to even mess up a horde army at that point. Oh, yeah. Board control with elite armies absolutely is a thing, either because they establish those firing lines or because they establish a, a charge range around them where I'm going to move 12 inches and then charge 6 to 10 inches. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you come within that range with anything less than, like, 60 models, then I'm just going to kill you. Yes, exactly. Um, they also have, as we said, uh, toolbox rules things like just pushback units and things like that. Scouts is a prime example of a small unit doing a lot of work with board control. Mm -hmm. And Space Marines, even, you know, Space Marine Scout armies are typically fairly elite. If you think of them bringing, like, 40 to 60 models, that's still fairly elite at the end of the day. Yeah. And, I mean, the the example I always go to is knights. Mm -hmm. Like, if you have a knight in a table quarter... A lot of units just can't go into that table quarter because the combination of shooting and melee that that knight brings to the table will just dominate that section of the board. And Mm. you have to deal with that knight before you even think about getting in there. Another big part of the choosing between an elite army and a horde army, and I think this is one that a lot of people kind of are forgetting about these days but is super critical, what kind of meta are you expecting? What kind of armies are other people bringing? That's true. If you are going into a tournament where you know that, like, this is Orc Central and Wagaway. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the tournament's called Wagaway. Uh, and <laughs> I go to that tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you go in there and you're like, and you're mean. You're like, I'm going to bring Purgators with silencers for days. Yeah, because like you've got to expect that everyone else is thinking there's going to be orcs everywhere. I need to be ready for them. But what they're not going to be ready for is a bunch of guys with two-up armor sitting in cover. No, with 24 shots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, obviously that goes both ways. Um, Shaylin and I have traveled up to the, uh, the Mugu Games tournaments a couple times recently. Mm-hmm. Mugu Games is lousy with knights. Um, it, it is not uncommon in a 30-person tournament there to see 10 night players. Mm-hmm. Um, Damn. So, yeah, it, you, you go into that meta, and if your army is just 180 guardsmen, hey, how you guys doing? We're going to take some objectives, and there's not much you can do about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I, I've, I got to watch, they had like a couple Index Orc players in one of those tournaments that were doing surprisingly well, because yep. the Knight guys were like, I can't kill enough Orcs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, there was a guy running, I think it was Triple Knights plus Magnus and Mortarian. Yeah. That guy not doing so hot against Knights, or against uh, or, the Orc Horde like that. No, I think he got tabled. He did, but, you know, he knew he wasn't going to win that tournament anyways. Um, but you you need to know what you're expecting and what kind of guns other people are bringing. Uh, and that's especially important as we roll up on LVO and the kind of finale of the, the season here. There's a lot of people who are building to beat hordes because hordes are the armies to beat these days. And that's not wrong, but remember that you've still got to be ready to deal with custodes and knights and all those other elite armies as well. Yes, because let's be frank about the LVO meta, it's everything at once. We mean it kind of literally is everything at once. Um, It is one of the most balanced metas because it's just everything at once. In some ways, yeah. You you have such a wide, a large number of players that like 
there's going to be at least one of everything there. You, you can't really avoid it. Um, it's going to draw every weird list in the world. But at the same time, you should you should be aware that like some of those really good players are going to be bringing orcs and guards and tyranids, and they're going to have a lot of bodies to deal with. Uh-huh. What other kind of considerations do you guys think are really critical when you're deciding between an elite army and a horde army? We mentioned the painting of the Horde army being a consideration. There's also the logistics side of things. You have to move all those models from table to table. You have to move them on the table, yeah, which involves a lot of bending over, and that wears on you on the day. And as Josh pointed out, you have to play that one really carefully all the time, so there's no mental breaks either. Oh, God, no. Yeah, I was going to... The physical strain of it is certainly relevant, especially for those players who are, you know, not 22 anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the mental strain of it is arguably even bigger because you have to do a lot of mental work. You are having to roll dice and re-roll dice and look at these numbers and check all these things. And just the the, the mental strain of it is non-trivial. Uh, an elite army might finish its game in an hour, an hour and a half, but an orc army never will. No matter how well you are blowing the enemy off the table, you are not going to finish your game in an hour. If you're running a horde army in a tournament, you should be aware of the fact that while some people are going to get done with their game in an hour and a half, if there's three-hour rounds, you're going to be playing for three hours every round. Yeah. And and you better be ready for it. And if and, and just like Shaylin just said, there is no break. Your brain does not get a rest. It doesn't get to stop because just as much as you're having to put all your power into looking at the numbers of this dice roll, you're also having to look at the positioning of these units, the removal of these casualties, the piling of this assault, the interrupt of this, and the swings of that. It's It doesn't stop. It's nonstop all the way from start to finish, full three hours, and then you rinse and repeat, do it again. Well, and then this is the other thing I observed because I remember the whole moving your models thing. Okay, you pick up your 180 boys, you somehow get them moved to the next table, you have consumed most of your 15-minute break doing that. Yes. Yes. Uh, you're not getting a lot of time to sit down. And when it comes to the deployment phase, it's your opponent is always going to be like, put a unit down. And you're like, all right, and then 30 boys go out, and it takes me five minutes, and I do all this. You go, I already put another unit down. All right, then now I do another. You're, just, you're not getting breaks. Um, mm-hmm. Playing a horde army is more difficult on a purely physical level than you know, the others. And also in logistics, travel. Yeah. Um, that for case. any of you who are traveling around to different tournaments, a horde army usually consumes more space than an elite army does. I know people who play custodes simply because they can fit a 2,000-point army in a tiny, tiny little box. Uh, and that, that's huge. No, I, I have seen, like, the ridiculousness of some of those cases that Horde Army people need to use to get them places are like, well, I didn't bring my Horde to LVO because I couldn't have put it on the airplane. Yep, that's absolutely a consideration. Uh, and we say this not to warn our listeners away, like, don't play a Horde Army, you'll lose, but to make you aware of the struggles that you're going to have to deal with. This is the reality of playing an army like this. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's, let's say final votes. Um, which way are you going to call this sort of dichotomy between the things? Uh, how, how do you think each of these two types of armies fares overall, and why? Shailen? So... Hordes have the advantage of just the statistics are solid with them. Mm-hmm. 
And that that is basically the reason I would say hordes have a slight favorance, is they can just, if played correctly, absorb more anything going wrong. That's fair. They have room to absorb. And that is the one problem I always have with my elites, is if things go wrong, they go wrong fast. Yeah, a horde, a horde army has a higher f- threshold of failure. Yeah. So you can pull yourself out with an elite army. You can do it, but it's a lot harder. And in hordes, as I said, they just they can just do it because even when things go bad, they can only go bad so bad. Josh, where do you stand? As far as 8th edition sits, so far from what I've seen, I'm going to have to lean towards hordes. I think they're, they're a stronger, more dependable, and more consistent winning build. That's fair. There's a lot of really good hordes. I am actually... I'm not going to completely disagree with the two of you. Uh, I typically play elite-ish armies. Uh, My Tau and Eldar armies both run somewhere between 50 and 80 models, uh, which is not a large number of models, but it's not a small number either. I would call Uh, your army a midweight. It is is kind of midweight, and I think that is one of the takeaways for 8th edition you you need a certain number of bodies. You mm-hmm. have to have some expendable models in most cases to really succeed because otherwise those smites and those deep strikers and all that sort of thing will just give you a bad time. That's how I beat Don Houston at SoCal. He didn't have anything to stop me. Yeah. Um, he, he had no buffer, so I ran right into the killer stuff, and that was his. Yep, that was the it. Dropped in, started smiting and charging, and gave him a real bad day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if Don Hoosen is not exactly a bad Death Guard player, uh, <laughs> considering he won the last ITC tournament he had gone to there. So, you know, that probably counts for something in Shailene's favor. <laughs> um, but yeah, that minimum number of models is just, armies don't, a lot of times just need at least 30 to 40 models on the table, no matter how elite they want to play. You can win without them, but it's hard. Exactly. Um, so, so you need a certain density, like even an Imperial Knights list alphanalyzes itself with guards so they can get those bodies. Yeah, needs. you'll just bring those 30 to 50 bottle models alongside to, to make sure you have what you need to win the game. The Loyal 32. Hmm. Yeah, and the Mechanical 17. So, I think that basically covers the subject. We have our, our votes in, 2-4-1 abstain. Uh, <laughs> If you would like to get in contact with us, you have any questions or commentary on the episode, or you want help with a list or something like that, you can email us on inthefinesthour at gmail.com. We also have our In the Finest Hour on Facebook, as well as Patreon. And for those of you who are generous enough to sign up to our Patreon, uh, we have a dedicated Facebook group and Discord channel for all of those folks where they can ask us personal questions, get some commentary and discussion from those of us here on the podcast if you want something a little more specific. You might um, even see Shaylin's sketches occasionally. Every once in a while, yeah. We got to use a couple of those recently. Mm-hmm. Um what kind of upcoming stuff do you guys have? I don't really have much at this point. Well, outside of LBO, obviously. I actually have something. Um, I'm going to the CK Studios class in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I think it's February 23rd and 24th. Oh, yeah. That's that, that's that airbrushing class, right? Yeah, the, the one that goes all around the country. And they finally did one in Oregon. And I'm like, well, I'm going. 
<laughs> what are what are you painting up for that? Uh, it's uh, it's the one on one class, so it's a contemporary draw, not which I have no use for whatsoever. So why don't you listeners tell me what I should colors I should paint that? Because I have no idea right now. Well, that could be a fun game. <laughs> uh, Josh, how about you? Do you have anything between uh, now and the end of February? Between now and now and uh, LVO, uh, now and end of February or end of February? Well, even after. Well, if if we're going out, I've got I've got two more events, uh, two actual GTs, uh, February sixteenth and February twenty third. Uh, I got two GTs coming right up back to back, straight out of LVO. Where are those at? Uh, both in so one is uh, in northeastern Canada, and the other one is just across the Lake Erie in uh, Barrie. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm going to defend my title last year, winning the Barrie Bash. Ah. Yeah. The the gentleman that actually puts on the Barrie Bash, his name is Ridvin. He's actually uh, the one that won the Capital City Bloodbath this year with Dark Eldar. Yeah, I remember ah. that. He's a really strong player, really amazing guy, like really great player. Uh, he actually has his own Patreon and podcast that he does called Scared Cast. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. He's a really great guy. He's a good friend. He's, he's good. And, uh, and because he beat me at uh, Capital City Bloodbath in round four, um, I made a vow that this year at the Berry Bash, I will defend my title with Dark Eldar. So, uh, I have to play pure Dark Eldar at the Berry Bash this year to try and defend my title, so... Ooh. Uh, I, this is gonna be interesting, to say the least. Oh, that'll, that'll be interesting. Uh, and what's, what's the other one, the, uh, Northwest, the Canada event? Uh, I think it's, it's called, uh, Project X, I believe. I'm trying to remember the exact name of the event. Um... Okay. But you said that was the 16th? Yep, it's literally, uh, it's the weekend after LVO. Okay, okay, that's the 16th. Well, we'll have to keep on the lookout for that and see how you do there. Maybe we'll have some super fancy news to talk about on the podcast. That would be awesome. Uh, there will be an update to our website where we will have a calendar showing where people will be oh, and be the useful. events so you can find us. Brilliant. We'll try and we'll try and link that on the Facebook as well, so yeah. people can kind of keep aware of what's going on. That is one of the reasons to like the Facebook page. We do update where these are with BCP links. Yes. Um, well, I'd like to give thanks to our sponsors. Dank Muse has provided the music for us. He has a YouTube channel as well as a Patreon and a Spotify and whatnot. Um, he's currently a little bit out of commission due to some awkward computer problems, but all of his other music is already up there, and you can listen to his awesome Simpsons songs. Uh, I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow, our excellent artist, and man with the astoundingly smooth voice. <laughs> if you've ever had the pleasure of speaking to him. I have not yet, unfortunately. Well, and, and on that note, I would actually love to extend the offer to if there's anyone out there that would love to um, get, get a little advertising on our humble podcast we have going here, um, feel free to reach out to any one of us, and we will be more than happy to put you in contact with uh, our logistics specialist, and uh, we can get you set up to be able to sponsor, and you know, any amount is always helpful. And uh, we will definitely, as you have heard, recognize all of those that are generous enough to sponsor us. Alright, I think that makes it time for List of the Week. Oh boy! Okay, I'm, I'm curious. I've been chomping a bit. I want to know what you got, Sean. 
Okay, so this this one is one I stumbled across while browsing through BCP recently. The best um, way to find a list. Absolutely it is. Uh, and it really just... It piqued a certain something in me, because uh, at Charity Hammer and some of these other events, uh, I played Necrons, um, which is an army I've, I've had for a little while now. I don't play them so much anymore, because I'm sorry, Necrons. Um... But uh, I'm always on the lookout for kind of like interesting Necron lists. I've been having a, a pretty extended discussion with one of our Patreons about how to do Necrons, and he's come up with some really good ideas that mm -hmm. I think have some real merit. Um, but this is a very different kind of Necron list than what you typically see. Okay. Um, so, uh, this was run by one Mr. Will Mott at the Last Chance Open recently. Some of our other listeners may have heard this on other podcasts, because it's definitely garnered a little bit of attention. Mm -hmm. But I think it's still worth pointing out. To sort of set the tone for this, this list is titled Giant Spider Knights. Excellent. Yes. Um, so, it consists of one detachment... A Novok Super Heavy Detachment, <laughs> which has... I'm sorry, it does have two detachments, because um, it's only five command points, not six. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't want to start with a full six, that's basically cheating. But uh, this, this Novok Super Heavy has three Seraptek Heavy Constructs in them. Which, if you are not aware, is the Forge World Super Heavy that they have. The, the, the giant spider walker thing. Yeah. Um, and then it has an auxiliary support detachment with a Triarch Stalker. Excellent. And that's the army. <laughs> wow. And it, it is um, spot on 2,000 points. Which, when you only have four models, is an impressive feat in and of itself. <laughs> yes. You should, he, he should get bonus points for that, I'm just saying. Right? I, there's nothing more frustrating than having, like, 1,997 points and not being able to spend it. That just feels bad. <laughs> so, uh, big congratulations to Mr. Wilmot for not only bringing a four-model army, but going four-and-one with it. Uh, and I think next week we are going to be talking about target priority and how to make your decisions there. Everyone they're, likes putting their bullets in the right place, right? Their bullets and their punches. It's not just for the shooters. <sighs> so, thank you all very much for listening. And from me here in the center... Shaylin on the left. And Josh on the right. <laughs> <laughs>